God, it's good to see you. Contractors had it, noble causes did not. Politicians are bought and sold like so much chattel. Our problems multiply. Pollution, crime, drugs, poverty, disease, hunger, despair. We throw gobs of money at them. Problems always get worse. Why is that? Because money's most powerful ability is to allow bad people to continue doing bad things at the expense of those who don't have it. I agree. Now, who did you say you were working for? Oh, that's just my day job. Listen. When I was in prison, I learned that everything in this world, including money, operates not on reality, but the perception real. Pause it. People think a bank might be financially shaky. Consequence, people start to withdraw their money. Result, pretty soon it is financially shaky. Conclusion, you can make banks fail. I've already done that. Maybe you've read about a few. Think bigger. Stock market, yes. Currency market, yes. Commodities market, yes. Small countries. I might even be able to crash the whole damn system. Destroy all records of ownership. Think of it, Marty. No more rich people. No more poor people. Everybody's the same. Isn't that what we said we always wanted? Because you haven't gone crazy, have you? Have you? Who else is going to change the world, Marty? Greenpeace. <laughs> you are crazy. listening to they must be destroyed on site the following podcast contains adult language adult situations and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often you've been warned now take it away dr roush they must be destroyed on site someone finally got the old Maxwell smart cone of silence to actually work. They just had to put it in a room. That's all they had to do. Just lock it off. Yeah. Uh, Welcome back. They must be destroyed on site. Episode 247. And I'm your host, Lee. Run by little ones and zeros, Russell. I'm joined by the returning co-host, Daniel. Not chartered for domestic surveillance, Harper. How are you doing, sir? Welcome back. I am, uh, well... I'm doing fine, although I am uh, officially unemployed as of this moment. Uh, so you know, not 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 a good thing. But I'm here, and uh, we're going to talk about a movie 
that I saw in theaters back in 1992 when I was 12 years old. So uh, this this will be uh, this this will be a fun one, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. And we have a special guest on the show and he picked the movie to come on and talk about. It is um, Bo. My voice is my passport. Ransdale. How are you doing, sir? Verify me. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I look, we, we had talked about doing a little cross pollination because you were kind enough to be on dark parade, of course, which is the show I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you gave me the list of movies and I saw sneakers, I could not respond quickly enough. Uh, <laughs> I am so excited to talk about this movie. It is one I never get to talk about. And, uh, and I love it so, so much. <laughs> I mean, possibly the greatest hacker movie ever made. It has its problems, don't get me wrong, but I think, bar none, far and away, the greatest hacker movie ever made. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into all this, of course, but yeah, it, it not only does it take the subject matter seriously and and kind of get most of it eh, right enough. You know, it's not like you're, you're not talking about routers and MAC addresses and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but... Uh, in terms of, you know, sort of, a, hey, this is just a, a more accurate look at what a hacker is instead of, you know, driving around on a motorcycle with uh, uh, Angelina Jolie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, even that mo- and even that movie is better than a lot of the imitators, ultimately, you know, like, you know, oh, once you once you get away from the like technical details in terms of the uh, socio so- sociological, you know, uh, in person stuff, I think uh, both hackers and sneakers uh, hold up very well. And ultimately, I think sneakers is, you know, this movie has been forgotten, but it should not be. So uh, Lee said, hey. We're doing sneakers, and I went, all right, fine. I'll come back. I'll actually show up again for this podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know. I mean, so, yeah. I mean I'd, I'd hope so. I think you put it on the fucking list. So. I did. I did yeah. put it on the list, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's God-tier Robert Redford. Like, when I yeah. think of Robert Redford, this is maybe my favorite performance of his, and he's delivered some great performances, but I love redford in this he is like this is the reason robert redford was a movie star he is so likable and charismatic and smooth and i just my god i want to have sex with him so badly (laughs) have you read uh have you read uh uh, the uh the book um uh adventures in the screen trade by uh goldman william goldman uh, no, no, no. I'm he, familiar with it, but I've never read it. Yeah, no, he, he describes what he was talking to. He was a screenwriter. He he wrote uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, it's a if you want to understand screenwriting in the like 60s and 70s you need to read that book basically um you know it's it's a classic uh but he describes uh meeting a man who described his wife uh wanting to crawl over broken glass for the chance to fuck robert redford back in the 70s (laughs) um and so uh that gives you a sense of like how big robert redford really was um and so looking get him in 1992 like at this point he's you know this is this is like his his late peak you know because he was still a, a big actor at this point you know but like he never he did movies but he never 
he, he kind of moved on to being a director as opposed to being like a marquee star. He was aging at this point. I think he was 56 and I'm like, I'm, I would love to look that good when I'm 56. I don't oh, yeah. look that good. And I'm sure. 41, you know, so, you know, it's fine. But, uh, yeah. So, um, we're talking about the movie, which we should not be because, uh, I'm sure Lee has things that we need to do before we talk about the movie. So we have, we have a format, but you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Bo, uh, since you are a first time guest on the show, you get to do the thing that first time guests always get to do yeah, on right. the show and play the movie God game. Are you a God? When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Movie God. I shortened that a little bit, Daniel. I don't know if you remember that used to drag a little bit. <laughs> I, I I actually don't even remember that you had like a little audio intro for this. Like you've Jesus. you've been busy since I've been gone. I've been gone for most of 2021. I yeah. apologize for that, by the way. I've had things i have things to do but, yeah you've, you know. you've had a podcast that actually makes money so that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yes uh, uh bo so movie god game for those uh, people listening who are maybe not familiar i'm going to give bo two things it can be uh two movies two directors two screenwriters two composers uh two actors whatever and he has to choose between the two now the one that he chooses the other one never existed is destroyed from the timeline and there's all the repercussions of that so um for instance if i eliminated like like if i made you choose between like tom Selleck and burt reynolds or something and you eliminated burt reynolds and maybe his movies happen but they happen with somebody else in them or you know uh you have to sort of consider the consequences and so since bo you are a big fan of uh asian horror films yeah, that's true. Uh, mm-hmm. I am going to give you a choice here. You are the movie god, and you must eliminate from the timeline either Takashi Miike or Takashi Shimizu. Oh, okay. Um, I think you've got to go Shimizu, or I would have to go Shimizu on this one, even though that could imply that the grudge never happened. Yeah, he wrote and directed it, didn't he? Yeah. Not? So, yeah. But... Mike, you know, look, let's just be real. Mike is the the better director. And also the output he has. And uh, I mean, just for like Sukiyaki Western Django alone, <laughs> getting away from all the horror stuff, like, you know, he's doing Phoenix Wright adaptations and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, you know, all apologies to director Shimizu. Not, not yeah, I got to go with Mike on that one. In audition, yet. audition is, oh my god, what a great movie audition is! I was, I was, I was kind of like thinking maybe he'll get rid of audition. Maybe he will. <laughs> I, how could you? Like, there is an interpretation of audition. It, 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 one slight digression. There is an interpretation of audition that I dearly love, which is that everything that happens after the date in the restaurant is all in the main character's head that like the bat the guy in the bag and the piano wire ankles and all that stuff mm. never happens it's just a flight of fancy 
that this guy has. And there's evidence within the film to support that. But it's one of my favorite interpretations because it becomes so much more thematically rich where it just becomes totally about a guy who whose view of women is such that he has to invent a villain for himself in in his dating life and i there there's something about it that i really adore so yeah i i, I do kind of do I, I don't like audition as a, as a film personally um yeah, for complicated reasons which maybe we'll do an audition episode and we can talk about that <laughs> but uh you know but i but i i agree with that because it would uh, basically just make him like the first incel basically like the incel before the incels were a thing and <laughs> yeah. uh it, like basically it exposed the kind of inherent misogyny of that entire uh perspective so yeah yeah, yeah. no and, and i mean the whole movie is, is i'm gonna i'm is, gonna i'm gonna rewatch with uh, that in mind for sure when, all right so when you're watching this scene when they're having dinner there's a point where they're talking where you can hear the traffic outside the restaurant stop hmm. and the the background audio drops out so you no longer hear the cars and that is kind of the argument is that is the point where this guy's fantasy begins. That is fascinating. And uh, we will definitely need to come back to that in a future episode, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. well, uh, you stumped me, Bo, because uh, I was supposed to make this a difficult uh, decision. And you just like you killed Shimizu just, just like that. He's dead. Yeah, I look, <laughs> I, I prefer the idea that he's never been bored. Like he just he he still exists in that that uh, vacuum in which we all exist prior to our birth. I, I tend to think like they go off and they have a very fine career doing something other than making films. Right. Like it's not that they die. It's just like they go off and have a, a perfectly fine life, but none of the movies they make get made. So yeah, no, he's, he's dead. Daniel. Um, Shimizu becomes a very successful real estate agent for haunted houses. <laughs> <laughs> There's just this one house he can't sell. Right. Yeah. Don't <laughs> go in there. Don't go in there. Yeah. It's real screwed up. I've been thinking about playing with a story or something about it, but who's got yeah. the time? Who's got the time? Uh, imagine. Yeah. Imagine he's just the sub real estate guy who thinks of like a really good ghost story, but never writes it down. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like that is my version of hell is all of the opportunities that you missed are presented to you at the point of your death of like all the ways your life could have been a million times better. And you would never know it except if you've lived a poor life and then you're shown all the ways that you could have been rich or successful or whatever and just ignored an opportunity or, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so, so, so there's like literally a, there's literally a Red Dwarf episode that does this. But oh, <laughs> okay. great. It's, yeah, it's, I am not a Red Dwarf guy. Sounds like a, it's a wonderful life, except no take backsies, basically. You know, right. For, except Clarence was a real asshole. Yeah. For, for for me, that's that's the like, well, look at all the things you could have done and become a truly terrible human being. But you would have also been like showered with riches is kind of what that means to me. <laughs> that can that can definitely go that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's no way of accumulating like great wealth that isn't like. And then I did some really awful, awful things, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, we're not going to talk about that because we're going to talk about sneakers, which is in no way about uh, the uh, problems with uh, uh, 
<laughs> the accumulation oh. of wealth. The accumulation <laughs> of wealth and capitalism. Um, no, that's cer- certainly not something we're going to talk about. Also, geopolitics. God, there's so much in this movie. I don't even know what you guys want to talk about. I'm going to go where you guys want to go. But anyway, um, <laughs> Lee, right. uh, lead us, please. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we'll talk about what we've watched lately. I know Daniel has nothing to mention, so uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't watch anything. I just, I just, you know, like I, wa- I watch Nazi shit. I, I've, I've watched a bunch of Tucker Carlson uh, originals, uh, oh, really? the trial of Kyle, um, mm-hmm. Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial, oh, uh, the little twenty-minute documentary, which uh, is full of Nazi memes, uh, which are buried under uh, the slightest things that's what i watch these days i don't watch movies like uh, why would i why would i do that i have better things to do which is uh you know um, absorb the material of the most terrible people in the english-speaking world so uh, no uh, no no one wants to listen to what i've been listening to unless you go listen to my other podcast which we will talk about that but yeah, yeah. uh so both yeah, so I watched a an indie movie that had been recommended to me a number of times entitled My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, which is a kind of vampire movie. Okay, and, yeah, I think I heard of this then, yeah. In, in the same way that, like, The Battery is a zombie movie. Uh-huh. Um, so it is about two siblings as played by, uh, almost famous as Patrick Fugit, uh, who has a glorious beard in this movie. And <laughs> oh, hold on. Patrick, Patrick Fugit. Is it? He like 35 years old at this point. He's like, or like the 65. Part? Like, isn't, isn't he like, you know, anyone who was in a movie and is like, when he was like 19, it's always like 65 in my head by the time they show up later, even if it's like six years later. Um, But like, I'm just, I'm thinking about almost famous from 2005 and now it's 16 years later. And I'm just imagining him with like, you know, the, the literal like Hobbit beard, like the, like the, (laughs) you know, the, the long white beard is like, this is how long I have been away from pop culture. You know, here's what'll blow your mind. He is only uh, 39 years old. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he still has a very babyish kind of face. Um, when you see him, it's, he still looks like the guy that was in almost famous, but, um, yeah. And the, the premise is he and his sister are caring for their younger brother who isn't a traditional vampire, but he is obviously very sick. He can't go out in the sunlight and they have to give him blood. And so in order to procure blood, they do some heinous shit uh, in order to keep their younger brother alive. The whole movie is ultimately a metaphor for the effects of caring for someone with a long term illness on your family. Yeah. And it's it it handles that very deftly. There are moments of uh, like real poignancy. Like it's a movie that. If you are if you go into this movie wanting, you know, Salem's Lot or 30 Days of Night or whatever, like, you know, pop culture, mainstream kind of vampire fiction, um, th- that's not what this movie is. This is much more of an allegory. Um, it's It has more DNA with something like Hereditary than it does, uh-huh. uh, you know, like Dracula. It's but it's really good and it's really 
uh it's really somber um it it uses music very sparingly and there are there's a lot of really uncomfortable moments as you're watching the movie just because it is just you're watching these people just talk to each other for most of the film but it the conversations they're having and more importantly the conversations they're not having are really impactful i think and it's you know definitely an indie movie not for everybody but when i watched it i i walked away from it thinking that it was uh it was it was really good stuff there there's some very good writing happening in that movie so i, I really liked it the greatest horror movies are about how we need uh medicare for all ultimately <laughs> you know? yeah yeah well and i mean not just that but just like even if it weren't even if the medical problem was handled like if finances were no issue of just what it does to a family to see a member of the that nuclear unit like that is the focus of your life is taking care of this you can't do shit else but yeah. they uh-huh. can take care of the, this individual and and that's the kind of stuff that like there there's a great moment where patrick fugit pays extra for a prostitute just to have her tell him about Miami. I'm just like, I I just want to, I just want to talk to you. I just tell me where you've been. Tell me about the places you've gone. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, for, uh, for a nerd like me, what has seen a, a lot of horror movies, the way to make me interested in your horror movie is to do something kind of different with it. And this movie oh, definitely yeah. does that. Yeah, no, I'm definitely interested. I will, I will definitely uh, seek that out at some point for sure. And, and free on shutter. Like if you're a subscriber to shutter, if you like horror movies, you damn well ought to be. Um, it's, it's free. And uh, it presented in this really weird four, three format. That was really strange <laughs> for that movie. And I checked it against a couple of, different streaming services i was like did shutter screw me on this are they have did they wonder woman 84 me because i don't (laughs) i don't appreciate that um but no it's just that's how the filmmaker decided the film uh should be shot it's very and and strangely intimate as a result god i now want to i now want to watch that and do it as an as an episode so uh you know like uh dragging me into this show again and again yeah he's getting the bug ladies and getting gents he's he's getting the he's getting the jones back i'm coming back you know yeah more contagious than omicron Mm -hmm. well you know omicron is really contagious (laughs) you know (laughs) there are three cases in michigan currently where i live and uh it is expected to be the like the the vast majority of infections by the first or second week of january so uh yeah it's it's all gonna be great um yeah I got my booster, so I'm gonna be fine. Probably. Yeah, and, well, and, yeah. and and by all account, or at least the the most recent studies were, were kind of confirmed the the apocryphal stories that hey, yes, this is super transmissible, but also seems symptomatically more mild, more right. in, more in and, line with common colds than right. Delta. As long as you're vaccinated, oh, you're sure. probably going to be fine. If you're unvaccinated, uh, this is going to kill a whole lot of people, um, you know. And uh, I feel like I feel like at a certain point, like uh, you, you, you've had it's been a year. You've had a chance. Like yeah. seriously, mm-hmm. the, the news like, got out. Like people yeah. know there's a vaccine. <laughs> it it turns it turns out there's a very easy way to avoid this, and that is to get vaccinated. Um, yeah, 
I, I, I had horrible uh, side effects to all three of my uh, vaccinations. It was awful. I regretted it at the time and then uh, went on and were like, yeah, no, no I'm fine. Uh, they could have done the same thing. Anyway, I, I just yeah. had the sore arm like I was such an evangelist where it was like my, my arm was sore for almost exactly 24 hours and then I was totally fine and had a better yet had a like a close call with someone that totally had COVID and I had a, a meeting with them where they were not wearing a mask and I got a face full of COVID for like Ugh. two hours and did not get sick. And I was like, well, that tells me that the vaccine works. Because, yeah. I mean, she did everything but just, like, lick my nostrils. <laughs> yeah, I was out of work for two days after each dose of the vaccine because of, like, after effects, because of side effects. And so I had, like, among the worst side effects, and I would still say, yeah, do it, please. Yeah, you know, you know, you know. what's you know what's worse than missing a day of work? A ventilator. Yeah. Well, you know what's worse than missing a day of work or two days of work, or is uh, actually getting COVID and uh, getting long COVID uh, yeah. because, oh, like, that's yeah. a yeah. Anyway, uh, we are now far away from uh, talking about sneakers, which I'm actively wanting to do. So we should uh, move into that. I'll just mention one thing I did watch. I saw uh, last night in uh, Soho, uh, which I thought was excellent. Not the complicated Lynchian mindfuck that the trailer would lead you to believe it is. Yeah. Uh, is that is, the new Edgar Wright movie? Yes. Am I? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's actually a uh, horror movie slash kind of fantasy, and it kind of uses um, psychic ability in the sense of like time travel, where you know when she's dreaming, she her consciousness basically goes back in time and sees past events and stuff like that. And um, so, you know, it's not as incredibly complicated as, as the trailers and some of the reviews and the buzz out there would lead you to believe it is, but it, it's one of those ones that really comes together really well, uses its gimmick really well. It's not hard to follow. I kind of equate it to something like, um, like stir of echoes. If you remember that one with Kevin Bacon, sure. Digging was, holes in the backyard. Yeah. Mm-hmm, which is really good. It, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a murder mystery with, you know, psychic abilities, premonitions, stuff like that. And uh, a bunch of great actors in it and fantastic soundtrack and a lot of great style. And none of it feels super pretentious or just like, Oh, look what I can do. It's just like the work of a really excellent director who knows what he's fucking doing. And, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, highly recommended for anyone who was like on the fence with that one. Cool. Yeah, definitely on my list. Uh, I feel bad for not having seen it. Oh, okay. So we are going to take a quick break. We're going to play podcast promo, a little bit of music, and uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about sneakers. And I don't know about you guys, but I think we got this, man. We got this by the ass. You ungodly warlock. This will keep it quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet. My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? 
not that, but also yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon. And for $5, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. You ungodly warlock. other trailer is woefully out of date so i had to go with the patreon one <laughs> yeah yeah no i appreciate it yeah they all need to be updated quite frankly <laughs> uh you know it's one of those things that like it's always on my list of things to do and then i just never get to it 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, we were talking about Sneakers 1992, directed by Phil Alden Robinson, and we have a trailer, so we're going to play that now. This LTX-71 concealable mic is part of the same system that NASA used when they faked the Apollo moon landings. Worked for them. Shouldn't give us too many problems. They break and enter. How are we doing? Cars in position on the fire escape. Mothers in the cable vault. Carrying to suffer master circuit. But they're not thieves. We're getting too old for this. They know your secrets. But they're not spies. It's gotta be there somewhere. What's he doing? I'm not gonna really. Mr. Bishop, do you mind if I take a look? Carl. So people hire you to break into their places to make sure no one can break into their places? It's a living. Not a very good one. Now they've got a new client. National Security Agency. I don't work for the government. Relax, Marty. It's just everybody on your team has had some sort of problem in their past. Now what are you saying? The NSA killed Kennedy? No, they shot him, but they didn't kill him. He's still alive. They may not want the job. Liz, I need your help. I will not be dragged back into your world. But they don't have a choice. We don't want to bust you. We want to hire you. We're the good guys, Marty. Can't tell you what a relief that is, Dick. Your job is to find that little black box. We got it. Holy cow. What the hell is this? There's a war out there, old friend. A world war. Oh, my God. How is this possible? It's not about who's got the most bullets. It's about who controls the information. Anybody want to shut down the Federal Reserve? Hey, don't wait, screw wait, around wait. with that thing. It's all about the information. So it's the code breaker. No, it's the code breaker. Battle stations, do you have the item? Can you guarantee my safety? Where is the item? Can you guarantee my safety? Martin, you've got trouble. Here, maybe this might help. Old buddy of mine was in Desert Storm sent it to me. Of course, he was on the other side. Now give me the bomb! Martin! I'm next to Mark Smith. Woman. I'm Carl. There's a fire escape at the end of the North Corridor. Go directly north. Directly north. About 30 yards. <laughs> Five seconds. Hang up, Fish. Hang up. They've almost got us. Wow. Fucking intense at the end there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that trailer makes this seem uh, like a much more intense thriller than it actually is. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I watched that th- that trailer on E! Entertainment Television. Oh, yeah. Uh, back in the day. Anyway, uh, please yeah. uh, do what you uh, have yeah. uh, So, uh, Robinson, uh, Phil Eldon Robinson, he's probably best known for Field of Dreams. Yeah. Uh, then, then he went on to do The Sum of All Fears, which I guess kind of makes the sense. Affleck, the Affleck Sum yeah. of All Fears. You know, it's they, a, he, he did a lot of like American exceptionalism uh, porn. Basically, you know, I'll, I'll uh, give that I'll give that uh, I'll give that movie credit, though. That's like the one Jack Ryan film that had the balls to like actually detonate a nuclear weapon in, a, in an American city, <laughs> even though for, you know, for whatever propagandist reasons, the movie we're putting forward. But, you know, still um, screen. He's also known for th- this one caught me by surprise. I was looking at his credits here. Screenplay for Ghost Dad. 
Uh, I'm surprised he's, he still has that on his IMDb. You think he'd have tried to get that scrubbed? It's probably why he only directed like four features. <laughs> Put him in movie jail for ghost ad. Yeah. It, it's crazy to me that he he did not direct a lot, nor nor did the screenwriters of this movie uh-huh. write a lot of stuff. But the stuff they did, there's like a couple of real bangers in the list. And you're like, well, I, yeah. don't, I don't know how the, this ended a career. Yeah, like, I, I I feel I feel like there's a there's a there's a like a pattern of like you work within the system in that era, and I think something that we might talk about a little bit is that this is 1992, and then like Reservoir Dogs shows up in 1992, yeah. and so mm-hmm. there's this whole like sea change in terms of like just mm-hmm. sort of how these kinds of movies are made, and so I feel like. Sneakers, one of the things that I love about it is it exists in this like continuum of the like the 70s paranoid thrillers of like the Cold War. And it very much is like embracing those themes and kind of working on those same same kind of ideas. And then like immediately after the movie was made, that whole paradigm changes completely in terms of how these movies are made. So it is like the very, like this, this is the long seventies in a way in, uh, hmm. in terms of uh, analyzing, uh, you know, sort of, sort of films, you know, like, like it's, it's the, the long, like, it exists in that kind of like auteur 70s era, but like within this kind of, you know, more um, within the studios with the like kind of kind of protected, you know, we're, we're going to do this as a way of like making money kind of idea. And uh, <laughs> immediately after this movie is made, that entire thing just like stopped. And so that's again part of what part of what i enjoy about this um so sorry i, I apologize for maybe not being completely uh transparent or completely clear but like uh, I, I like uh, that idea though that like what if the conversation but a comedic ensemble thriller <laughs> yeah no no i mean i think this is this is the this is the the sequel to the conversation in a lot of ways you know like and, like it's the conversation with a happier ending is basically what <laughs> yeah yeah what if the right. conversation but like they win in the end <laughs> right. you know? they, yeah, they don't descend yeah. into a madness i mean and, and visually the film sorry i know we haven't really done anything to like set up this film but like visually uh the setup where they're in the law and they've got like this kind of enclosed it's conversation and yeah. everything. Yeah. It's thing. the conversation. It's very, uh-huh. and I didn't know that when I was twelve and saw this theatrically, but now that I've seen the conversation, a lot of those other thrillers of that time, like it's it's a very obvious lift, and like it's very obviously meant to be in conversation with those films. And you can't understand this without also understanding kind of what was going on in the seventies. You know, it's it's very much. Uh-huh having that conversation with that, but you can imagine this um, being made in 1977 or in uh, 1973 and talking about Nixon 
talking about right. like kind of the Nixon presidency. It's not uh, you would change some of the technical details, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not hard to imagine these same kinds of ideas being like explored at that time, you know. And so uh, especially with like Redford and, uh, you know, Sidney Poitier and, you know, a lot of these other kind of older actors being in this, particularly Redford, you know, who was in a lot of that kind of stuff at the time. I mean, All the um, President's Men is one right, of the great. Like, espionage films of the 70s this is clearly an extension of that sort of concept right this is like sort of the last of the great cold war movies you know right right so even uh, though it's post cold war like they reference uh, the fact like oh well you know we won it's 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 pretty obvious that they wrote this while the cold war was happening and then like threw in like you know we're the commonwealth of independent states now and you know now i get to show up and you know like there's a it's very clear that uh you know they 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 wrote this during the cold war and then went well now fuck we gotta we gotta deal with this uh, you know after the fall of the Soviet union you know it it makes it much easier to write in a way because uh everything's kind of loosey-goosey now now it's all of a sudden you can just present the whole espionage game as like the wild west now kind of thing you know where who's who's doing what right um I forget. Too. I forgot. Just, sorry, just to just to throw this in. I mm-hmm. forgot um, until I rewatched it last week. Um, you spent an hour on the like setup to this movie. Like the stuff that I mm-hmm. remembered as a kid is all the stuff that happens after you know the Ben Kingsley Robert Redford meet each other scene. You know, but there's a whole hour of this movie that takes place before that, and I think mm-hmm. that's. You know, it's important to highlight that if we were talking about the movie. Anyway, please, uh, Lee, you, you've got you've got you've got a plan. Like, get, do the plan. <laughs> it's fine. Ignore my drunk ass. It's fine. That's all right. Uh, so yeah, uh, Robinson, uh, Lawrence Lesker, and uh, Walter F. Parks also wrote on this. And uh, Parks and Lesker did War Games together. And uh, La- Lasker also did Project X, the uh, what, the Matthew Broderick with a monkey uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> film. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Were they? they Which I remember from my childhood. Yeah. Which I remember from my childhood. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they did kill one of those chimps, the fucking pricks. And I mean, uh, Matthew Broderick killed a person. So, yeah. Um, Robert allegedly, Ray, allegedly, uh, come after me, Broderick. Sue my ass. Let's see you do it. Um, it will only make this podcast more popular. Ultimately. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I am betting on r- the wrath of Broderick right now. If you uh, strike me down, you will only make me stronger, Broderick. Yeah, come out, Cap. Come at me, Ferris. You little bitch. Um, Robert Redford is Marty Bishop, aka Martin Bryce. Uh, we got Joe Mars, Ben Kingsley, or Cosmo. Um, Joe Mar and Ben Ben Kingsley as Cosmo. Uh, apologies there, uh, and I, I got to say too, like the the young guys they got to play uh, Redford and, and Kingsley, fucking spot on. Like they did some oh. great casting. That, the <laughs> young oh, is Redford there, is especially. There, yeah, yeah. Is there even a young guy playing Redford? Because I mm-hmm. thought that was just Redford. I thought it was Redford too. But I was like, are they actually going to try this? Like, are they actually going to try to pull this off? Because I was like, uh, they got a 50-50 chance. The the line where he interrupts himself to say that they want pizza mm-hmm. is like, I don't know what films you were studying in the game room. But that was the most Redford ass bit of acting. He's got him down, right? Yeah, like, it yeah. was. Yeah. 
Uh, that might have, I don't know who that guy was. Maybe that, that might have like shortened his career because he's like, oh, he can only do Redford. Fuck him. <laughs> he um, ended up in Butch and Sundance the early years. <laughs> uh, we get Sidney Potier as Donald Kreese, uh, David Stratham as Erwin Whistler Emery, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Man, is this well, as himself? As yeah, himself. <laughs> truly, yeah. <laughs> as as future as future uh, Twitter user, uh, basically, uh, Darren Mother Roscow, River Phoenix, which he's in. God, this. He's Carl so good. He's so he's so good and <laughs> like yeah, it's a shame. yeah. It, yeah. it is, yeah. Mary McDonald as Liz Ogilvy, looking really good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski as Werner Brands. Timothy Busfield as Dick Gordon. Eddie Jones as Buddy Wallace. George Hearn as Gregor Inovich. And yeah, James Earl Jones shows up at the end because, you know, give this movie some gravitas, I guess, you know. I like I, all I kinds like, of astronomy. Yeah. I feel like Donald Logue does not get enough credit for being in this movie. <laughs> you know, like as like gets, as the mathematician. <laughs> yeah, gets, yeah. Yeah, he he briefly gets to be brilliant and make out with a hot Czechoslovakian older lady who wants to teach him some yeah. things. But yeah. Yeah. Um give him head when give him head whenever he wants. Yeah. Um, it's, it's strong Tobo too. I like a, a, some Tobolowski in my movies. And this yeah. is great Tobo. This is up there with uh uh, Groundhog Day, as far as yeah, the best Tobolowski no. films. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have a synopsis from Graham Roy on IMDb. Martin Bishop is the head of a group of experts who specialize in testing security systems. When he is blackmailed by government agents and stealing a top secret black box, the team finds themselves embroiled in a game of danger and intrigue. After they recover the box, they discover that it has the capability to decode all existing encryption systems around the world and that the agents who hired them. Didn't work for the government after all. Uh oh. Well, fuck. And yeah, that's a that's a good back of the box right there. Uh, that that that's you know I see that on the VHS. I mean, like, it's I'm got some. It's got some. There's some inaccuracies because like the film makes it very clear that the codes around the world are not going to be like decoded by the black box, which. It's probably not actually technically true, given like the state of cryptography at that time. Like, actually, that seems wrong, and I thought that was wrong when I was twelve. Hey. <laughs> you know, um, you know, like there, there's a lot, there's a lot here to to what, unpack. What do you what know I'm about saying. codes, Daniel? You can just play a little bit of word scrabble with some scrabble pieces, and you, you, you're you're breaking ciphers left and right, yeah. right? That's, yeah, that's that's all you need to do. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'll I'll throw over to uh, Bo first. What are your sort of uh, general thoughts on this? One? Uh, I love this movie. It, it's truly one of my favorites from this era. It gets together a bunch of terrific actors and gives them a really sharp, funny script, and then lets them you know bounce off one another and Ooh. even. The the small roles, like I mean, we were talking about Donald Logue and Stephen Tobolowski and the you know the guy the cop from Invasion USA showing up as the <laughs> the the heavy uh, against Timothy Busfield. And I'm a big this is a crazy thing for any human being to say, but I'm a big Timothy Busfield fan. I love West Wing. <laughs> I think he's great on there. I was a thirty something <laughs> fan as well. He was great on that. 
Uh, and I think he's would you, would you vote for Obama a third time is really the question. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that's all right. If we're getting to Bradley Whitford versus Timothy Busfield, we've got uh, that's a real God question that we need to tackle. But yeah, it, it like Busfield, I think, is so great as the like, I'm the good cop agent until you realize he's not. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you heard it in the trailer when he's having the whole conversation with redford and he's like no you know spying on you is the fbi no toppling small governments is the cia we're we just unlock secrets you know we're we're the good guys marty um <laughs> you know that kind of stuff i just think he but to to the larger point it, it is like every corner of this movie has a good actor in it giving a good performance and by the time that you reveal ben kingsley like you said like halfway through this movie and all of a sudden it kind of spins the movie into into the final act and into the real intrigue of the film but like ben kingsley is terrific as well and and it's like it's appropriately serious for the subject matter but there's almost not a scene in the movie that doesn't have a pretty good laugh in it Mm. Um, right down I, I to, think that's tough to pull off. Right down to Ben Kingsley jauntily jogging to his office when they when he realizes, oh shit, this this is Martin all along. He's 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 been fucking with me. You know, I got to go check. My Why office. is this so hot here? Yeah, yeah. he knows. He knows. I, yeah. I really love the. Uh, I can't kill my friend. Kill my you, friend. Kill my friend. Yeah. 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 No. It's, it's like it's just filled but, with. But those that's like classic. Ones. That's classic Hollywood screenwriting, right? Yeah. You know, and that's 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 kind of where I like. They're like, look, I'm a big fan of the Miramax. Uh, you fuck Harvey Weinstein and all of that bullshit, you know. But like, I'm a big fan of like the indie filmmaking boom of the '90s, right? But we definitely lost something with that kind of studio machine that would just put a bunch of great actors in like a, you know, a movie with a good script with reliable, with a reliable, you know, workman director and uh, workman screen uh, screenwriter. And uh, they would produce something, uh, you know, accessible and good and that's 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 what this movie is ultimately well it's, Sorry. it's it's like it's a really decent script and all that but it's like so elevated by the fact that like the entire cast is so fucking good like right. this would not be half as enjoyable if like it was just a bunch of nobodies in this thing doing this thing right especially for two hours for right. like the, the cast like i did not realize this movie was two hours i just watched it tonight like I, i've seen bits and pieces here but this is like honestly my first real sit down and watch and i just put it on and by the time it was done i was like oh that was two hours six minutes well, was it yeah. uh it's got a great pace is it is this your little like first watch of this you this watched my it first, today my first real watch through oh, yeah wow yeah, uh, I, you know, to the point about like filling it with like the, the actors elevating it, the scene where they're watching Donal Logue, you know, get seduced by the <laughs> Czechoslovakian woman and right. Carl uh, uh, River Phoenix is like w- looking through the tele, like, hey, let me let me look. And they're like, hey, be professional. <laughs> and then when <laughs> Sidney Poitier, of all people, <laughs> goes up to Redford and goes, Martin. 
let me see let, let, me, <laughs> let me look yeah no yeah. no and it's like no we're supposed to be looking at the exact keys that he's like doing for his password and it's just like no 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 uh, i i want to i want to watch the hot chicken well well yeah the funny five year old try to fuck donald log you know the, fun, like, the funny thing is that they're recording all that shit so they don't even have to look through the the, the viewer to, to see like it's already being recorded they can see it afterwards but they're like let me look let's let's take a look here you know which which and and this is also this is also something that we find when you look at like how like surveillance teams that are actually surveilling people in real life in the united states babe is they will absolutely do this like you know and i i feel like um you know it does it does add a bit of verisimilitude to the uh to the political Mm. uh, side of this you know yeah and sorry not 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 to not to talk over you no 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 sorry i i I just get so excited about this movie um but you know that moment in the film also leads right into the well now we don't know where the box is and you get all these little moments from these characters that show why they're part of the team in this case it's whistler saying oh it's on the desk and they're like uh you're blind there is no way for you to know that and he's like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, just listen. Yeah, no, no, yeah. And no. It, it, it's so well, again. It's just one of those scripts that moves just effortless, effortlessly from one character to the next and one beat to the next. And and like you were you were saying, Lee. It by the end of the movie, you're like, holy shit, that was like two hours of my life that just cruised by, and mm-hmm. I don't think I, I I was not entertained for any of it. You know. it feels it feels like a 90 minute movie like, yeah it, it really does and because it's got all the beats there but it you just don't realize that they're stretching these scenes with these great performances because you're enjoying them so much and it's like you know you're, you got all these interesting characters you've got whistler who's basically daredevil without the martial arts is his hearing so good apparently uh, <laughs> which uh, which is which is ironically actually kind of accurate to the way that like p like the phone freakers of the 80s and 90s would be able to like actually call into these uh lines and recognize like particular tones and say like there is so the technical details are wrong like let's just like let's just acknowledge that um it's not like everything in this movie is accurate but the feeling like the the kind of the overall like vibe is very accurate in the sense that like you send somebody into the room who will uh you know put up a thing that's going to send the audio to someone who can listen and uh yeah, to be able to just listen to the various tones and then like to find the one that's actually the one that uh, connects to the alarm system or whatever. Like, yeah, no, that's pretty accurate. Like, you know, like uh, again, the exact details are wrong, but the the vibe is right. Like, and that and that's where I think sneakers really stands above a lot of other films of its ilk. You know, well, in terms and- of actually acknowledging that you know and they they have to they have to kind of do it that way too right they have to kind of there's so many technical details that if they got bogged down in them and like put too many of them on the screen for the viewer to watch the viewer's going to get like the general audience is going to be like what the fuck what am i watching right. like i don't right. understand this movie lays it all out and dumbs it down in a way that feels authentic 
but isn't hard to follow. So, well, in in nineteen ninety two is very much the era before uh, mass adoption of like personal computers in the home, mm-hmm. while people were sort of seeing them in their workplaces, and so you know, it's not an it's not unusual it's not like a a problematic thing to see like oh yeah so there there's some nerd at work who has (laughs) who has like you know a bunch of tools who will like plug into a circuit board and will be able to like solve my technical problems like it's a very like you know uh universalizing thing among the people who might go see the movie you know so. Mm-hmm. He's got rolls of wire and solder and stuff on his table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the the great scene where they kind of explain to the audience, like, here's what this thing is and what it does. And right. it's after they actually get the box and they're all kind of celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably the greatest scene in the movie and the one that yeah. like really uh, became the uh, uh the um the voice of it right like really yeah. became like the the thing that people remembered and we already mentioned the uh c-tech astronomy scrabble thing which you know <laughs> yeah like, hootie's yeah. rat semen is my favorite <laughs> they don't even say it out loud they're just like oh yeah that's not it but yeah. Yeah, so like that whole scene and and big shout out to james horner because the score in this movie is terrific and in this scene in particular you can feel that score building and building and building so that when when they're they do the anagram of like oh it it actually says too many secrets is the what c-tech astronomy stands for spoilers and also at the same time you have whistler and mother like decoding oh here's uh you know the federal reserve and when when david strathairn says Oh, you know, here's the FAA flight plan. Anybody feel like crashing a couple of planes and, and and having city party run into the scene and be like, turn it off, uh-huh. like, like under and it, it impresses upon you as a viewer, like, oh, shit, they could like if this fell into the wrong hands, it, not only could they, you know, crash a stock market or whatever, they could kill a lot of people just with this box because of what it's capable of and i and that whole scene does such an amazing job of explaining that that to a viewer without ever having to explain one technical detail mm-hmm. right. it's just you, like, that's what it is that's what you, it yeah, is. exactly it's and and the technical details are wrong obviously like you know oh yeah we put an ohmmeter on a particular point of a circuit board and suddenly that gets fed into whatever well, I mean you don't put using, you don't put the you know. anarchist cookbook on on film and then just tell them how to do it <laughs> <laughs> also know? the also the anarchist cookbook has like fundamental technical flaws just for any yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know like don't actually follow the anarchist cookbook it's bad it's it's very bad uh, I I have a, I have a degree in chemistry um so so don't 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 um anyway um but yeah no blue like, math make blue math the also blue math the only way you get blue math is if you have some like kind of uh copper 
uh, within your, you don't get that at 9.9% pure meth. Uh, if you, if it's blue, it needs to be clear because, um, you know, otherwise, uh, uh, yeah, no, thanks, I should not be talking breaking bad, by the way, That's... I should not be talking about this ultimately, <laughs> uh, you know, my apologies. Um, but like, so the technical details are wrong, but it feels right. It feels like a thing that like, oh yeah, we have a circuit board. We're plugging in. We're doing the thing. We're exploring what this thing can do, et cetera, et cetera. Emotionally, it carries you through to the next scene, right? And yeah, yeah. That's or, what it's meant to do. The discovery comes organically through the scene, so it's like the, the audience, you're watching, you're following the characters, you're kind of putting their shoes a little bit, and you're kind of discovering it with them, like, kind of thing. So, it's it, it's not, the movie's not hitting you over the head and saying, hey, dumb dumb, this is how it works. It's like, hey, buddy, let me put an arm around you. This is what's going on, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and the, you don't have to because it, it doesn't have to explain the technical details. Mm-hmm. It just kind of goes. It shows you. Look, we have smart people doing a thing and finding a thing, and then it, it explores and it tells you what the implications of that are, and then it slices that away and then like moves on to the next thing. And I feel like that's what a lot of films uh, kind of miss in terms of the, where they feel like they need to explain the technical details for an audience that isn't ultimately going to care, you know? Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, uh, how did it land for you after other than the, the pace of it, but you know, the, this 20 year old movie, uh, at this point, does it, I mean, did it still, I, it didn't, entertain? it didn't feel dated. Like yeah. it, it felt very entertaining and very, in some ways still pretty prescient to today in, in, in a lot of ways. Like, you know, even though the technology is a little antiquated, it doesn't date it. I found, I, I just found it was cause they didn't get, even though it, it is about the nerdy side of espionage, it didn't get too nerdy to the point where it's like, oh my god, like these these guys are like you know using eight track tapes or some shit and <laughs> figuring out codes. It's like no, none of that stuff's important. It's it, it was you know ultimately the fucking performances were just like so good that it's like you you guys can tell any fucking story you want. Just just give me these these fucking actors. I, I think it's kind of interesting too because unlike something like the net. Which was sort of, you know, in in the ballpark of that era where that is very much a the Internet and technology is bad kind of movie. Right. Sneakers feels like, no, 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 it's not the technology that's bad. It's the, the people. people wielding. Mm-hmm. And and it, yeah, I think you're right. I think it has like a surprisingly mature take on what the not necessarily the Internet, but just what like what information technology and and privacy and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. like it's it's pretty smart about that and um yeah like you said i'll anytime mary mcdonald is (laughs) you know dressing up and being slightly aloof uh, (laughs) i really like in fact there's there's a line in this movie that has hung with me for years just because i love what it says about their relationship that redford and, and her relationship but it's when he goes to ask her to go to the uh the symposium Mm -hmm. and and she's like no 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 i don't want to get drawn back into your world and and we are not getting back together 
And when he, as he's chasing her, he says, this isn't a date dummy. And I like the fact that he calls her dummy and she's just like, ugh. Yeah. You know, this, it's this shit again. Yeah. It's very fun because it's so familiar. It's like mm-hmm. they can say this to one another and she doesn't immediately knee jerk think that he's an asshole for saying it. The performances are so good that like everyone feels like they actually do know each other. Like, so pretty much imagining that most of them, they didn't, you know, there's not much about their backgrounds on the script. I'm pretty sure a lot of them came in like thinking to themselves, you know, this is my character. This is what he does. This is what he does that we're never going to talk about in the movie, but it informs my performance a little bit. And this is my relationship with all these other characters. And yeah, they just, they, then they just sort of riff off that. Like, I don't know if there's any, it, I, I don't feel like there's any like real improvision or anything like going on necessarily. I, I feel like it's pretty much what's in the script, but um, the performances are just so good that like they carry the material to a different kind of level than, yeah. you know, if, if it was just like first year acting student hired blind and <laughs> let's make this little indie movie about uh, early hacking, you know, kind of thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and everybody seems game. Like everybody, mm. everyone in the cast seems like they're there to have a good time in addition to do the job. But um are just having a blast yeah yeah i i really enjoyed this myself like again i said first time watch for me here and it felt like a perfect kind of melding of like the oceans 11 kind of like caper film with like three days of the condor or the conversation right like it's kind of like wow you can take two movies that are so different and put them into this and make them work and make them entertaining and you know and you don't have the downer ending of the conversation where you have a despondent gene hackman playing saxophone in his ripped up apartment you know (laughs) structurally it works by you know you spend like the first like 15 minutes or so are the pre-credits like uh you know introducing the characters and then like the pre- you know, the, the pre-credits uh, action scene, basically, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, you see the sneakers kind of going in and doing what they do professionally. And then the next, like, 30 minutes or so are kind of setting up the uh, the conflict, you know, like, so uh, Busfield uh, comes in and goes like, hey, yeah, well, uh, we're, the, we're the NSA. We need you to come and do a thing. And then they do the thing. And, uh, and then you run into a problem. You introduce Ben Kingsley uh, as the antagonist that we originally introduced in the first scene. You know, as the you know he's the real antagonist. And I think we I think we could if you choose to have a conversation about how Ben Kingsley's character Cosmo has no real ideology at all. Ultimately, like there's no like he no, he's kind just, of acts by it's plot, anarchy. Right? Yeah, yeah, he's just yeah. Well, it's, just it's not even anarchy. It's it's he is Martin Bishop and Cosmo don't disagree on their ultimate goals, right? Um, but you know, Cosmo wants to make Martin suffer for you know Cosmo having gone to prison for a number of years despite the fact that Cosmo is clearly much more successful in his life than Martin is right yeah it's the, uh, it's the sad uh, irony of it right like he's uh, he's got everything but all he he's just this sad little nerd who wants to get revenge on the cooler character who got away with 
the crimes that right. you're committing. Yeah. Well, you're you look like Robert Redford and you're hot and you're going to sleep with Mary McCormick, apparently. So, like, you, you know, you're the bad guy. But like and, and he says it at the end, like when they're having the conversation on the roof and Redford says, like, you win. That's what you want to hear. You you want mm-hmm. you want me to lose and you to win because in in Cosmo's mind you know like he uh, Kingsley has that great line where he says you know my good friend Martin who said we would not get in trouble and who I would point out did not while I went to prison and and that's like you like you were saying Dan that's the whole crux of his character is he has this love hate relationship with robert redford in this movie where he he still sees him as a friend and a compatriot and maybe the only person that can understand him because of his ego and everything but also he wants to see him suffer and and he can't reconcile those two things it's kind of it's kind of like sometimes where you have you have siblings and you have sibling rival rivalries and you want you would you would die for your brother or sister or whatever, but at the same time you kind of relish the idea of them suffering sometimes. You know, like you right. you, you kind of get a little buzz by like, oh yeah, my I'd, I'd like to see my brother eat shit this one time, you know, for being a little prick all of his life, you know, kind of thing. Um, Cosmo is essentially he's Blofeld, but he's emo Blofeld, kind of like he's <laughs> he listens to the Cure a little bit too much. <laughs> because i mean especially if you go off the retcon with james bond and the uh, daniel craig films where they are related or whatever the fuck you know uh that's that's kind of the that's this is kind of the you know uh proto that in a, in a way well it's 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 worth talking about and i don't know how far we want to go in this um because this is more I don't speak German territory, and so I apologize. But it's worth talking about the Californian ideology, right? Which um, basically what you found um, in the the rise of sort of the PC revolution in the late '80s and early '90s. The people who you know, um, kind of you know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and all those guys is that they kind of came out of this kind of hippie far left, you know, smoking weed kind of ideology. And then they uh, kind of became uh, corporate shills, you know, ultimately, and they started their own businesses and kind of did their thing. And they found this, you know, the Californian ideology is basically, well, we want to have like this kind of like very loose um, kind of corporate culture. We want to have a, uh, a corporate culture that encourages, you know, like, you know, free love and, you know, gay people are fine and trans people are fine and racial equality or whatever. But ultimately it all like undergirds a, you know, sort of a corporate bottom line, you know, and, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what both of these guys represent ultimately, you know, in, in terms of, you know, Cosmo is, you know, he answers to the fucking mob. Right. And so he has an ideology. He, he, you know, and he is telling himself like, I'm working for some kind of greater good, but ultimately he's working for the mob, (laughs) you know? Um, And then like Martin Bryce, like, you know, yeah, sure. But like, you know, uh, you know, the job that you're doing is, uh, you know, you're telling banks how to protect themselves from people who would take them down, 
you know, and so you're ultimately working for the fucking banks. You're working for the establishment ultimately. And uh, I, I think that that it's hard to articulate that in a way that I can make kind of a, a specific point about it at this point, but I think it's here in this movie. And I think it's here in this movie, not because anybody involved with it really had like, this is an idea as much as it was part of the culture at that moment. And it's made at that point at which there's no way to sort of like avoid it being part of the conversation. And I think it's really important and like rewatching it this week uh, a couple of times, uh, it 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 hit me in a way that it did not when I was twelve years old when I saw it theatrically. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Redford is definitely a def- a defender of the status quo in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing right. he wants out of this is for him to be able to reclaim his name and not run from the law. But other than that, he doesn't want the world to change. You know, like I mean, well, and and to the degree, and to I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back against that slightly. To the degree that he does want the world to change, it is well. Instead of the Republican Party having this money, it should go to the Democratic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's within the system. Very this kind of like overt liberalism kind of thing. Like he's not giving that money to the Zapatistas, for instance. He's not like pushing forward (laughs) like kind of an anarchist politics. Which the fact that this takes place in San Francisco also has like this huge meta political meta conversation that we could have about like what San Francisco ended up being like, there's a huge, we're never going to get to all this, but like this movie, there's a lot going on beneath the surface that no one making it ever thought they were going to be dealing with because they happen to be making a movie about uh, hacking uh, in 1992 in San Francisco. Like literally George H.W. Bush is on a poster in this movie yeah, right? as, as kind you know? of the uh, like a, 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 a cipher of like, oh, this is Republican greed. And the reason you don't have your you're homeless is because of this guy. And right. And you, so like, and it's so, very you clear. Vote, so you should vote for Bill Clinton, who. Right. For all the things that he was better than George H.W. Bush and for all, you know, also uh, led to the like terrifying uh, policies of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, and also a world class dirtbag. Like, yeah. 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 But but again, it's, you know, as we we were saying, this is all Redford working within the system. It's not, you know, you're homeless because of you know, capitalism and socioeconomic. You're you're homeless because of large scale problems that have nothing to do with you. You're homeless because like the Republican party is not uh, engaging in certain kinds of job creating programs uh, that are means tested, et cetera, et cetera. You know, get out on the street, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and Red Robert Redford ain't fucking Roddy Piper. He's not going to put on the sunglasses and fight a shotgun, you know? Like, yeah, right. Yeah, this right. is not a Carpenter esque anti-hero. This mm-hmm. is like this is a. It is a hero that the masses can get behind because he is he is uh, assumedly fighting for the little guy, even though he is not by any stretch the little no. guy. Right. And the closest we get to that is Dan Aykroyd's character, Mother, who, uh, you know, who is explicitly coded. And this this movie came out like only a few months after Oliver Stone's JFK, you know, and and I, I think that you can't. Uh, see the kind of conspiracism, you know, and, and not code it with, you know, like, well, all that is bullshit. All that, you know, and yeah. like, look, I believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I will defend that, uh, you know, for people who uh, want to argue with me, which there are many. Um, most of the people who have not actually looked at the evidence, uh, it's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, like, you know, it's it's important to note that even if you agree that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, even if you agree that most of these sort of weirdo conspiracies are weirdo conspiracies, like, there was very real uh, conspiracism happening within the CIA, um, you know, in terms of COINTELPRO, in terms of, uh, you know, the United Fruit Company, et cetera, et cetera, like, very real things were happening, and absolutely there was propaganda that came out that uh, was uh, meant to make those people look like idiots, basically. And so when you look at a movie made in 1992 in the aftermath of JFK, uh, in which uh, apparently... Uh, essentially, Dan Aykroyd is just saying the things that he actually believed, which is one of the funniest <laughs> things about this movie is that they basically just said, like, yeah, just say the things you like and then we'll make Sidney Poitier uh, uh, yell at you. Um, <laughs> which you know, I want to uh, see. I wanted to see more of, actually. Like, yeah, I, I actually the- I actually would love to see the behind the scenes, like how this was shot, you know, I want the but, buddy yeah, comedy no. sequel where it's just the two of them. Right. mission together yeah. well i mean they're right. they're so they've been trying to make this a tv series for like the longest time and like it would there it was announced that they were actively working on it in like 2016 which feels super far removed from 92 as far as like trying to get that done and make it the same like it, it feels like it's just going to be way too warped and more modern in, in a way that i don't know if we'd ever work well, I, I i feel i feel i feel like anything after 1996 after the uh oklahoma city bombing is gonna feel like a very different world in terms of exploring this stuff yeah. and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah i have as it turns out, uh, again, I do a whole podcast talking about uh, white nationalist stuff, and um, you know, you should check that out if you are interested. Um, uh, but yeah, I have a lot to say about uh, how uh, pop culture uh, fed on that moment, uh, ultimately. Yeah, and, mm. and just for IP alone, it's like doing Lady Hawk the series. You know, where it's just <laughs> yeah. like I, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people still alive who remember that this was a movie, but. Not that many, you know, yeah. Like it wasn't, it didn't. Yeah, like it did fine. I'm sure. I don't know what the box office was. I'm sure it. It was. Uh, it no, did. I mean, it's, budget it's, was twenty three million. Did one hundred and five point two million. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it did fine, it's, it's but nothing. It's incredibly successful. 
by the Sanderson 1992, you know, um, but like it's not like it, it doesn't have like sort of an IP that continues on to this day. Right. I would love to see, uh, you know, a series that kind of does this sort of thing, um, but like it, it almost like it, it almost doesn't even need the like I mean, you know, initial IP. It doesn't need to be called sneakers. It needs to be. I mean, it was kind of new, you know? in, in a way it was kind of already done. Kind of yeah, yeah, Mister Robot, but also kind of like. Maybe the Lone Gunman spinoff from the X-Files kind of taps into this kind of thing, too. Although it's like all Dan Aykroyd all the time at that point, you know? Um, I mean, that was kind of spinoff of the X-Files, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. So, But uh, I I do feel like this... I was watching this, and I was like, you know what? The Brian De Palma Mission Impossible is basically just a sequel to this, where they kill off the whole team in the first five minutes or whatever. (laughs) Because if you... If you remember the opening of that, like all those guys, they're in his in Ethan Hunt's team. That's basically the sneakers team, and they just all get wiped out like <laughs> right away. <laughs> so like they they run into they run into the future basically. They they run head on into the future like a car into a brick wall and get murdered uh, because you know th- this is the espionage game now, boys and girls. <laughs> Post Cold War, <laughs> you children. Yeah, I I do really like the that character of Greg, the former Russian mm-hmm. uh, spy who is now you know what is it a cultural attaché is his title, yeah. uh, which I think is very funny. But like his character is at first presented as being you know very comical and almost buffoonish, but where you end with that character is kind of this great dark scene where you know when they're being pulled over and he's like look as long as technically this car is part of the russian consulate if you want me to give you shelter i can do that i need you know and and when he turns it down uh greg has that terrific line where he says you won't know who to trust and it's (sighs) but but we also we also learned that like that being part of the Russian consulate didn't mean shit. Cause that guy was just going to kill him anyway. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What, yeah. That, that I think also plays into like, we're raising the stakes continually through the movie mm-hmm. of, Hey, we've got this black box. Holy shit. It does this, this crazy stuff. And the people after it are willing to murder a Russian national in cold blood to get mm-hmm. what they want. And and, and, and it's clear that the people who are actually doing this shit are working for the highest of high uh, motives. They're working for a uh, an electronic toy company called Plantronics. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, God. So, I mean, let's it, just. It, it is. It is. It is a. It is an alternate like kind of reality in the movie. Like so, Robert Redford stays in the car and says, "Like, no, I'm gonna exert my rights," and like. He has a gun in his pocket. The only reason that all of this, uh, you know, was available to the company was they had a gun that was registered to Martin Bishop or Martin Bryce, right? You know, so if he had stayed in the car and said, like, no, I'm going to exert my rights, I'm going to exert my, you know, I'm going to take the protection. They they can't play that same game, ultimately. Although they probably end up killing his whole team, though. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, uh, there's let's set. We can talk about the logistics of this. I have a whole like conversation about the logistics. <laughs> I don't know if you want to like do this for this episode, how long you want this to go. But believe me, but like 
it's actually the better choice to stay in the car at that point. Like, given everything that we as an audience know, if he had stayed in the car, very possible that they can't really do anything against him, you know, like in that moment. It certainly mm. it doesn't play out in that same in that same way. It certainly uh, Cosmo was still going to come after him, but uh, it would have been in a different form. Yeah. Do, do we do we want to talk about like a uh, sort of technical bullshit that doesn't make sense? Because I have a lot of funny stuff here. Go ahead. <laughs> one of my favorite, you know, one of the classic scenes in the movie, uh, which Bo will know, is uh, the uh, yeah we tracked this through seven satellites and two oh, sure. local things. You know, like the like the call is going through the thing. Um, and uh, we staged this from uh, Martin Bishop's ex-girlfriend's house. And uh, this is where we're hanging out all the time. You no, know, clearly this house was going to be invaded like uh, 36 hours after everybody got lost. Um, so uh, it's funny because it's great for the narrative of the movie, but it makes no sense in terms of like the technical details as, as watching it like i even me as like kind of a layman going into this and not really knowing this this hacking stuff all that well it did not ring true at all like it was like this is this is one of the moments in the film where it's like it kind of took me out of it a little bit because it was like this is clearly constructed to give us a timer that you know they're going to beat Right. Like, right. So like that's way less convincing than when you get to the scene where they actually go into the toy company and have to, you know, work their way in and get into the office and stuff like that stuff. Again, very much Brian De Palma's and Mission Impossible kind of feels like it kind of if they didn't see this, like they're, they're kind of feeling the same vibe, you know, because that's a really good, well done scene with a lot of tension and suspense and stuff. But the hacking scene, like. Mm, felt but, very clunky. But I think the movie has a sense of humor about its own premise mm. in, in that sense, because there was that, that scene when he's first busting in to get the box and he's like, oh, this door has a key code. And, th- and they're like, well, there's one way. And then you just get that shot from, you know, on Redford as he's listening to the instructions and it goes on forever with him like, uh huh. And then okay, yeah, and, yeah, okay. yeah, all right. And then he just yeah. kicks in the door. It's great. Right. Yeah. And then says that worked as if they were like that was the instruction. They were like, mm-hmm. all right, you're gonna want to kick the door, but you want to do it just a little above this and to the left of this or which, whatever. Which it's is so actually, funny. which is actually how this stuff works. Is like sometimes you just like look, look. I, I, I am. Uh, uh, I, I'm not going to admit to anything, but I am, uh, you know, adjacent to the hacker subculture. And sometimes it literally is like, yeah, kick the fucking door in. <laughs> you know? but like, it, I, I really love that the movie itself is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of this is like wh- where it makes sense to kick in a door. That's what the movie will do. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right, Dan. There's a a ton of shit in this movie that is just nonsense. You know, or even the the in the same scene, the like lie detector that they've got going. <laughs> sure, it's yeah. just like, oh, well, that's just well, made up, it's but. it's it's like it's like magic lie detector stuff yeah. where like we we've designed we can 
detect, uh, you know, voice stress. I mean, I'm actually willing to give them the, okay, we have a chipset that we've plugged in in a serial way into this, like, you know, thing. And it, def- it you know, like, it's fine. Like, ultimately, I that doesn't bother me. The thing that bothers me is, like, no, uh, they would have found you at your girlfriend's house, like, uh, 12 hours ago. You know, but 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 the reason but the reason that they're at the girlfriend's house is to make the really entertaining scenes of the girlfriend kind of going like, and now I've got a bunch of nerds living in my place carrying in a bunch of wires. <laughs> yeah, jumping jumping trash. Yeah, yeah, which is thoroughly entertaining. Like it's mm. great stuff. Um, yeah, so you know, like I get narratively why you do it, but it doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, uh, in in the larger sense, you know. Um, so I, I don't I'm not even complaining about it. I think if I were writing the script, I would do it that way too. Um, but uh, you know, it it is it is a problem. You know, I have I have good things good things to say about uh, the technical details here as well. If you if you like to hear them, I don't know. Sure. You know, digging through how um, Robert Redford listening to himself. Uh, being carried to the place, you know, so mm-hmm. they dig out, okay, which bridges did not have a foghorn who had a, uh, you know, where, where did you go? The cocktail party moment, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was basic even when I was 12 and saw this is like, you know, like I had sent like a cocktail party. And then like David's traceman said, it's like, uh, uh, you are now an official blind person. <laughs> you know, like, um, a lot to say about the ability issues uh, in this film, but like that feels like a great moment for me. And then you know they they find uh, the Plantronic site and uh, you know put a camera up, find the uh, site that find the room where the thing is by listening to the various uh, things. And uh, yeah, like it feels very organic. It feels very realistic to me. It's like, this is, they do this, is how, of, this is how this works. Yeah. They yeah. do a lot of like actual work in the film. Like it shows yeah, them yeah. like we're, we're going through the paces. We're doing like the kind of detective kind of work, and you so, know, to and, and, and the film in the film, I think like uh, exaggerates and kind of like simplifies and, you know, like well, I mean, stuff that looks like it takes like two days in the film, the computer dating. Like, <laughs> how fast did that go? <laughs> I mean, I, I get right. the guy was desperate for like a girlfriend, but that still feels a little quick. Considering the timeline that they they're they're under, you know, like the, we got to get right. this done before the government they're, kills us. They're they're hypothetically trying to get this done in like two days, and like realistically, all of this takes like a month. You know, shall I phone yeah. you or net you? <laughs> the f- yeah, there, there's a real element of like you know we need a computer dater McGruber, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I also like the fact that that's what outs Mary McDonald in the movie is. Ben Kingsley overhearing her say, 
well, that's the last time I try computer dating. Mm-hmm. And he's like, wait a second. Yeah, wait a second. Hold on, hold on. And this a computer, guy? a computer dated you with him. Yeah. And I actually know the algorithm would absolutely do that. Yeah, no, um, particularly in 1992. The um, yeah, like, yeah, I, that's know. one of those ones where I'm like, well, I don't know. They're both professional people and smart people, and you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, and what's his face probably lied a bit on his profile, you know. <laughs> sure, sure, but I do. Yeah, I like the fact that you know Cosmo just innately knows like there's no way the algorithm. He's like he together. hears he hears a computer did this. Yeah. Martin Bishop is involved. Yeah. There, there's no way Hal 9000 is slipping you into this pussy, dude. That's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> but it also, like, even with all the technological stuff, like, when you get to the crux of the movie where everybody kind of descends on on this toy building and, you know, uh, Robert Redford is being held at gunpoint, it's not a technical solution. It is him saying, mm-hmm. now, Carl, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and, I thought it was going to be a technical solution, too, because it's like, oh, so they're going to rig something where the lights go out or some shit. It's like, no, he has to jump through the fucking ceiling onto the dude. He kind of has to defend himself a little bit that River Phoenix says. Where yeah, he's like, what took you so long? That's not easy what I just yeah, did. It's not easy, man. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, a, a buddy of mine refers to uh, in there's a, a a similar kind of feel to the end of Back to the Future where you have multi mm. multi-layered interrelated action where you've got what's going on with Robert Redford and Carl inside the building. You've got Whistler driving the van across the parking lot. You know, you've got crease uh, and, and uh, mother being held up outside the van. Like all of these things are taking place at once. They all factor in. Like if any part of this goes wrong, the whole thing blows up and you don't really see that in a lot of movies these days. They're very straightforward. They're very linear. Mm. And not that this movie is, is, you know, chronologically complicated or anything, but it's just got a lot of moving pieces that would be real easy to fall apart. It's it's an ensemble piece. And like back in the day, I mean, and I hate being like, I sound like a reactionary dipshit, right? You know, but like in 1992, mainstream movies knew how to you know like pace this stuff and like okay you got one thing you've got one group you got another group you got a third group we're going to build all this stuff together like they did the like robert mckee kind of you know story the blocking thing and i feel like that's you know, for whatever we've whatever we've gained, whatever we've lost, I feel like that's something that like a lot of the like kind of big picture, you know, like Hollywood MCU kind of bullshit. As much as I appreciate, I I, I actually am a fan of the MCU. Um, doesn't doesn't do that in the same way. It doesn't plug everything together and actually make a coherent whole. And I think that that's uh, I. I would argue that the thing is like, yeah, when you've got $200 million and you need to like CGI everything, you just, uh, you know, write the script afterwards ultimately and kind of do the thing that uh, you make the script work with the footage you already have, as opposed to kind of like writing the script first. And um, yeah, it's a problem. 
it's it's a problem you know yeah it, i mean in most movie studios these days uh are are kind of in the business of blockbusters and there's no guarantee like this is a movie if it were made today it would go straight to netflix or straight <clears throat> to amazon or something and get buried under a million other things sure yeah yeah and, and that's be, a real shame this would probably be one of those throwaway netflix series that it shows up and disappears well if you imagine you know like who's like so uh redford with 62 uh in uh 1992 so if you imagine See, i thought he was 56 you said 56 he, 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 yeah he couldn't have been 62 that that's a little too he's he's not quite that old you know, at this point <laughs> well if you imagine sort of like who who is that age here in 2021 who gets to be the lead like like paul giamatti or whatever or know, maybe a clooney Clooney could, could pull it off yeah 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 yeah, Kitten, yeah yeah considering the oceans 11 feel to it a little bit it's like yeah get that Clooney guy he did that before sure like get shorty and and the oceans yeah, yeah, movies no. he, he is the job sport sure. he could do it yeah no Clooney could be the lead in like a remake of sneakers and then you have you know um you know some teenage heartthrob and you have some weird you, you know you fill it with character actors and you right, put there's it on your Giamatti as mother yeah yeah or yeah, or, or, or Steve Buscemi or somebody, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You put it on Netflix. Denzel and, is uh, Greece. I think we yeah, got this. We got it. Oh, Netflix. God. Netflix, hire us to give write us, this. Give us a few million. I, I don't care if I, you I will, even make it. I will write this. I will write this for <laughs> sure. You know? Um, yeah, no. Uh, you, you, you throw that up there, and it will be, uh, you know, top of the line for a day, and then it's gone. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, ultimately, the the uh, the model has changed. Yeah. And sneakers, we got another skid game, squid game to do. Well, I yeah. guess let's you know our skid game. Maybe uh, maybe that's more appropriate. I don't know. Well, we got to do um, we got to do more seasons of a show that nobody watches. We got to do more. Right. You know, it, you know the the, the model, the Netflix model is you know we put up uh, as much shit as you can possibly absorb. We just kind of put stuff up there. And like, I log into Netflix these days and I haven't watched Netflix in a long time, but like they used to actually show me things that I was interested in. And now they don't, it's all just whatever the top 10, you know, like, Honestly, the last like, the the last real, the last series I can think of that was like really good from Netflix was Russian doll. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, which yeah. I that was a while ago. To you, yeah, which yeah. I recommended to you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're season two of that, motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> right. Although you know they'll put up season two and it will be terrible. That's because, the thing. Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah. Don't fuck it up. I could just leave it. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of why I don't want a sneaker series. I just like it being this movie. I, mean, I love the right. way it ends. I like the. I like uh, them coming back victorious, only to have James Earl Jones and his flunkies there waiting for them, and it just descends into nothing but a joke mm-hmm. of, "Well, what do you want? What do you want?" and uh and and that Mary McDonald's asking for a particular the hot the hot FBI agent's phone number. Yeah, that's really good. I like uh she's blonde uh, and has a she's blonde and has a gun. I want her phone number. She's she's blonde and has a really interesting face too, which is like yeah, yeah, okay, River, you get your you get it, you get it going. 
like Whistler which, asking which for ended up in the trailer for that yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. Uh, but Whistler asking for like I want peace on earth and goodwill toward Ben. And and the line that James Earl Jones has is yeah. we're the American government. That is not what we do. We yeah. don't do that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> imagine so writing. Good. Imagine writing that as a joke. Like, <laughs> no, that's that's so real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, you know truly one of those movies that when I going back and rewatching it, I've just seen it so many times that like I know the lines before they happen and all that. You know, it's like watching Ghostbusters or something. I've probably mm-hmm. seen sneakers almost as much as I've seen Ghostbusters, which is nuts. But I've probably seen sneakers more times than Ghostbusters, which says a lot. Which, yeah. Again, I saw this theatrically when I was 12 years old. Yeah. Like, it, you can't. You can't overcome that ultimately, <laughs> you know. There, yeah, there, like I was in in high school. It would have been just out of high school, probably when I saw this. There is that nostalgia for sure, and maybe it's just impossible for me to remove the rose from those lenses. But even when I watch it now, I'm still, and that's why I was kind of asking you, uh, Lee, like, well, how did it land for you? Because when I watch it. I think it's really funny and engaging. I think the performances are great. and The music's fantastic. And I love everything about it. And when the movie ends, I, yeah, I'm kind of like, I could probably watch that again. Yeah, no, the, the, the crazy thing is like, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it and it's like, so, so me and my uh, girlfriend, we, we do the online date night kind of thing. Cause it's like a long distance relationship. So it's like, Hey, let's hang out and watch a fucking movie. I'm thinking like usually I, I wouldn't pick a two hour movie, but I'm thinking this is what I'm gonna pick for a date night because it's like I think she's really gonna like this one. So yeah. So 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 you like this, Lee? Like oh, yeah, I mean, I, this is a first I time watch for you. I loved it. But, like, like yeah, yeah. I I thought it I thought it like I was telling Bo when you weren't here, um I I thought it held up really well. I didn't, it didn't feel super dated in, in a way, even though it's using older technology and stuff. I mean, it's obviously dated in terms of technology because it is, but it it doesn't feel like it is though, because, but the the reality is that it recognizes that like a lot of hacking, a lot of hacking is social engineering and it establishes that very well. And Mm -hmm. all of that is uh, completely 100%. it puts forth the ideas and then it has these great performers just like running with it. And that's what you pay attention to ultimately. So like the movie still works, like the comedy, everything still fucking works. Still got laughs out of me. You know, it's like, yeah, it it still works in 2021, almost 2022. It's not, it's not one of those movies where you go, Oh my God, this is such an artifact of its time. Like it's, it, it doesn't feel like that to me. So, yeah. I can't believe I said this movie was 20 years old because that shows how old I am. It's 30 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's crazy to me, you know, just because <laughs> I'm old that I look down the, the corridor of time and I'm like, oh, what a young man watching this movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, 30 years on and it's still, uh, you know, like it goes back to what Dan was saying. It, it, there are elements of that kind of classic 70s era where they paid so much attention to character yeah. and, and making the movie uh, built around the, the characters that you're following. So if you like the characters, then you're going to follow them on this kind of wacky techno espionage adventure. 
and and have a great time it's it's super fun this movie and that's the other thing the movie is just fun mm-hmm. you know there's there's lots of laughs there you know the characters are occasionally very silly and and i appreciate that like i like a movie that can make that pivot from you know like that scene we were talking about where they're all uh, uh when we realize what the black box is and what it does and that movie or that scene ends in a really dark place but that also begins with them dancing around to chain of fools mm-hmm. and it, it has this really great spirit and it, yeah it's just a, a terrific terrific movie yeah a uh, little bit of trivia here uh there's a lot of trivia on imdb i just picked these two points real quick uh, so robert ridford uh avoids being arrested because he's owed getting pizza and in three days of the condor his character joseph turner avoids getting murdered because he's owed getting sandwiches and of course that that feels very intentional it's like robert ridford's like hey i did this movie let's put this in the script guys uh let's get this done uh, also in three days of the condor a cia cia building is hit with a list of cash and the list of casualties is displayed. The final two names on that list being Martin and Bishop. So, which is, you know, Redford's oh, alias in this. Wow. So yeah, very, very on the nose there, but uh, cool. And uh, we also met, we, we already mentioned the, the warehouse is directly like the conversation from 74, same, same deal, you know, yeah. very much, very much. So uh, releases for this, everywhere you can find it everywhere blu-ray dvd itunes microsoft store amazon prime voodoo movies anywhere and youtube so uh, there's no excuse not to see it other than you're a fool who doesn't like good movies that's uh <laughs> you're you're a contrarian you are you're you're just you you should be on reddit and and leave everybody alone um yeah uh daniel Good to have you back. I know it's it's few and far between these days, but uh, you are. I, still I apologize. Always, I I always want to be on. I'm just I've got yeah I've got things. You, you've got more you important know. shit to do. Uh, I, no, I don't. No, I don't more even, important. No, I, differently I, important. Differently. No, no, no. I don't even say that trying to diminish the podcast or anything. But you you do. Uh, please tell people about the other podcast stuff that you do. Sure. So I do a podcast called I Don't Speak German because I don't speak German, but it's not about uh, how I don't speak German. It's about uh, Nazis, modern day far right figures and the communities that form around overtly genocidal racists. Um, So I spend uh, dozens of hours a week uh, following those communities and then I talk about them on a podcast. And uh, as as uh, you may have learned, I am uh, now unemployed. So this is my sole source of income. Probably not for very long, but uh, please go give me a dollar a month. Uh, if you go, Har- if you yeah, if you go on their Patreon, you actually do some movies on your Patreon. You did you just did, did all the President's Men. We did do or, all. No, the no, no, you, no, you did. Uh, uh, what the fuck's the name of that movie? Uh, the the Part Jack Nicholson, no, no, the Jack Nicholson court movie. Um, uh, you know, we did uh, a few, few good, good men. men. There we go. We did That's a few the good one. Men recently, and uh, we're planning to do seven as a, as another bonus this month. So, uh, a dollar a month, and you get to hear me talk about fascism and movies, and also you can pay me to uh, track the most terrible people in the English speaking uh, online world. Um, 
And please do so, so that I can do this and not have to take a terrible job. It would be nice. Also, also, if you pay me to do the other thing, I will be here more often. That's the other thing. Like, I will show up more often if I don't have to do another, you know, another day job. You That's know? right. And then I also feel like Daniel needs some relaxation. He needs to watch stupid movies and great movies and talk about them on a podcast instead of talking about Nazis all fucking week. That that would be a. All, I feel all like that'd I be a good release. All, all I do is think about Nazis. Like like people do not understand the degree to which like literally my I wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night thinking about Nazis. It's a bad time. Pay me, please. A dollar a month is all I'm asking. Anyway, so, so that would be a D done. All day I dream about Nazis. Oh, don't even. Don't, 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 don't like that. Yeah, Look, you know, I, I can't resist the allure of corn. <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, it's so much worse than you imagine. It's so much worse. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I have built a blissful castle in the sky for myself where I, I try not to think about that stuff too much, which is, is probably not wise, but you know, and, uh, but please Bo, um, it was great having you on the podcast. Definitely going to have you back at some point. Uh, please, you are the major domo over at Legion Podcast. Let people know about all the stuff that you're doing over there. Yeah, so the, the show that I do personally, well, I do a couple of them, but the main one is called The Dark Parade, which is all about horror movies and horror-related stuff, and there are all kinds of bonus episodes, and it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. There's like three shows a week, so uh, check that out if you like horror movies and uh you know the 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 kind of silliness that i like to bring to those discussions uh <laughs> but over on legion podcast i i'm i like to the title that i've been using is editor-in-chief which seems the most honest mm-hmm. which is just sort of uh we are a loose uh configuration uh, a, a loose flotilla of of podcasts that range from horror podcasts to political podcasts to uh, movie commentary podcasts and just about everything in between and it's a lot of uh, really great creators and you know it's a very socialist kind of environment where we're like you know we're all kind of together because we all believe that when one of us succeeds the rest of us do as well uh, and we encourage you to please listen to not only uh, you know shows that I do but listen to all the other host shows and I guarantee you out of the shows we do, and there are like 15 of them, um, then you're probably going to find one that you really, really like. True. And, and if you don't, let me know, and we'll make a whole new one <laughs> just based on whatever crazy idea you have. You want an entire podcast about corn? Well, we'll go deep on monkey. Whatever you want. <laughs> we'll do it all. <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants that, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I feel like Tempados is very much the uh, the weird movie podcast for just people who love movies who uh, just don't give a shit otherwise. Like it's uh, you know it very much feels like we we have a we have our niche uh, audience of a hundred people. Uh, yep. which is great um, who will just follow us forever, but it very much is like, they just don't want us to ever have an actual, like, uh, like a strategy. It's just, <laughs> yeah, just go and do what, 
what you think is interesting. Yeah, it's great. Well, I got yeah. I got news for the listeners. Uh, there's never been a strategy, and there never will be. Yeah. I'm not that well organized. Uh, it's so I, much I, fun to be here. By the way, thank you again. Before mm-hmm. I, I I fuck up and forget not to say thanks because I like I wanted to be on this show for a long time. I was writing letters. Uh, I had a petition going for a little while, and uh, so it, it's been. Uh, and and to talk about sneakers on your shows, terrific. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah, I, I feel I feel like we missed so much stuff in sneakers. We should probably do sneakers again at some point in like five years. Sneakers yeah. too, the sneakering. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Hacking the habit. Oh wow, <laughs> that's go. a pretty good one. Uh mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Electric yeah. sneaker Lou. Sneaker Lou. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Less than two meters per second. Uh is the God damn. That, that scene's so good though. Like he, he can't, Yeah, no. Uh, it's, it's, it's constructive. We didn't we didn't even get into we didn't even get into that. And you that's get uh, to do that's our fault. It's our fault. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So Daniel Bo, uh, absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for being on. And thank you all for listening. Of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all of our shit. You'll hear it in the outro. And we're going to take off because I got to go help my girlfriend proofread her exam very soon. So uh, here we go.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. Thank you.